0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. So, like Liz so beautifully described, we get to learn from this great character in the Bible named Nehemiah here tonight. Um... He called, he called his, he's one of the many people in the Bible that kind of called his people back to God, to faith and dependence on God. And he rebuilt, he, he literally like helped to rebuild a homeland for them. And, um, and so it was an amazing accomplishment done in the most human and humble way, like Liz was saying, his, with his vulnerability this action coming out of befriending his sadness. Um, So I think there's a lot to learn from Nehemiah and I also want to extend the invitation to us um, about the need to rebuild our own homeland of community uh, for each other with God. But let's start with Nehemiah's story. He, he is in captivity in Babylon, um, but he has a good job, like Liz said. He is the king's right-hand guy. In fact, he, he gets to, he's the wine taster. He gets to taste the wine and make sure it's not poisonous before it goes to the king. So this is a pretty great, great job. Um, certainly a very trusted position. Um, If all goes well, right. He is kind of a guinea pig at the same time. Um, But one day he sees some, he's Jewish, and he sees some of his fellow um, Jewish countrymen come in and he asks them about the other Jews who who survived the exile and are back in Jerusalem, um, their beloved homeland city. And they give him the bad news that those Jews are in serious trouble and disgrace. That the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And I was thinking the scene probably looked a lot like many of the scenes in Ukraine right now. Um, And so Nehemiah weeps when he hears this. He cries, and for days he's just grieving, um, and his grief turns into fasting and prayer. And I think that's the first piece of wisdom that we can learn from Nehemiah. He goes to God in his sadness, um, and, and he lets himself really feel it. He, as painful as it was, this loss for his people, like it, like the city of Jerusalem meant everything to them as the place where, like, God dwelt among them. It, you know, it was, like, his... It, this was a loss of, like, his... His spiritual and ethnic and um, social identity. And he takes this pain to God, humbly acknowledging how his people got to this place and remembering God's promise to bring them back together. Um if they return to dependence on God. And so his prayer leads him to this remembrance of this promise. The promise goes, if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And so this promise, remembering this promise, even in his sadness, is like the foundation of the whole rest of the story. He has faith that God's gonna like bring this thing full circle. If he can call the people back to God, then the city could be rebuilt and they could have this, they could enjoy this community, this place together with God again. He, he's even, he, at, like Liz was saying, like, he's, he's in this prayerful grief space, even on the job. Um, and, and the king notices his sadness, which makes him really afraid, actually, because like Liz said, he's not supposed to be afraid on the job. He's supposed to, he's the wine taster guy. He's supposed to bring the party vibes. But he bravely stays with his feelings, which I think is the second thing we can learn from Nehemiah. He keeps it real. He stays with the feelings. Very much afraid, I said to the king, why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what do you want? It's kind of this miraculous, I think he's seeing the answer to his prayer already in the king's like openness to him and his and his feelings and his experience and then also his his ask like he makes this really big ask he said if it pleases the king send me to the city in judah where my ancestors are buried so that i can rebuild it and then he proceeds to ask for more specific things like like protection and and letters and like like wood to rebuild and horses to ride on and the king gives him everything that he asked for and so um asking for help and so he travels to Jerusalem with this entourage and he looks over the ruins and he gets a sense for the scope of the project and then he shares the vision with with uh, the nobles who are with the, him and like the remnant of Jewish people that are camping out there in the ruined city. And he says, will you help me rebuild? And they say yes. And so then they start building together, like dividing up the work in this beautiful way. Like Nehemiah records, like which family does which part. And together they, they start working But like any new initiative, and I'm sure you can think of your own life here, it, it gets almost immediate opposition. The, the enemies come out, the haters come out, and they are insulting people who don't want this to happen, who don't want the walls of Jerusalem to be rebuilt, start insulting the workers and even trying to attack them and kill them. And they say things like, what are those feeble Jews doing? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? And Nehemiah responds to this opposition head on with a lot of courage, I think. Um, He faces the opposition and he gives half of the workers weapons to just like stand there with spears in, in front of each like work zone and and he he tells them I love this line don't be afraid of them remember the lord who is great and awesome don't be afraid of them remember the lord who is great and awesome don't be afraid of those who insult you and try to attack you remember the lord i think that's it that's a good thing to say on today is Christ the king sunday actually where we remember jesus as king Um, so that's it let's let's actually repeat that line together remember the Lord who is great and awesome can you say it with me? remember the Lord who is great and awesome in the midst of this tense and fragile moment where they're like they're rebuilding and having to like stand by from um, attacks another crisis comes to light. It's like, you know, you can never just deal with one problem at a time. Um, e- exactly. <laughs> so, um, And sometimes big wonderful projects reveal problems that have been similar, simmering below the surface for a long time. And that's, that's uh, the justice issue that is revealed here. Some of the, some of the people come to Nehemiah because in desperation, because they can't feed their families. They're running out of food. And um, Nehemiah finds out that some of the nobles have been acting like loan sharks and charging like exorbitant interest rates to the poorer workers. And Nehemiah confronts them and and he demands that they stop. He demands reparations from the nobles to the poor. He says, what you are doing is not right. Give back what you've stolen. And they do. And then when he becomes governor for 12 years after the wall is completed, he, he is not a hypocrite in, in this matter. He, he doesn't take the privileges of the governor position that he could that would tax the people. In fact, he like refuses to own any land. And he feeds 150 people at his own table every day. So this is like quite an upstanding guy. A good leader. This is a good leadership book, like Liz was saying. And um, he continues to face more opposition along the way. He, he, and he keeps returning to God in prayer to ask for strength. And I think God must really give him the strength he needs because he keeps resisting all the intimidation and and curveballs he gets thrown. And this wall gets completed in 52 days somehow. And then what he does is count. he counts every single person and animal, which is over 50,000 people. And he registers them, I don't know how he does this, but he registers them as like returned exiles. And um, I just love how, I just love this attention to detail and how every person and creature matters in this story. I think there's such great wisdom in not counting anyone out as significant, as insignificant to the project and the movement uh, of rebuilding community. Everybody has something to offer, and then they get together to hear the book of the law read by the priest Ezra. I'm just kind of telling you the whole story, and then we'll see how we can apply it. Um, and the people weep as they hear the words of of the book of Moses. They, you know, it's like when you when you hear a song or a story that like you heard as a child. And you just, you know in your bones and you haven't heard it in a long time. They, that's how they felt when the text was read and they're weeping. Um, but the priests tell them not to grieve. And Nehemiah says, says to them probably the most famous verse in the book. In fact, my mother-in-law has repeated this verse to me many times. I think because it's something that everybody likes to hear. He said, go and enjoy... Choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so, for seven days, they had they rejoiced together. They they brought out, um, they cut down these palm branches, and they made these little like outdoor booths, and they kind of just like had this outdoor party. And, um, and they, they were, they understood, the text, the part about that that I love is um, they were happy because they understood the message from the text. And the message was that they could, they could come back home, that there's mercy and redemption with God. And then on the eighth day, the priest called them into this time of public confession whoops thanks Jim they went over their story of wandering from God out loud and the people wore sackcloth and ashes so that they could feel and demonstrate the bitterness that they'd endured and the gift of returning and they made made an agreement together not to repeat history to, to try to follow God's ways this time and stay with God And this confession turned into a time of worship and giving thanks with choirs and trumpets um, and the ceremony to dedicate the wall to God. But sure enough, just beyond this great, like, you know, conviction to, like, we're going to really follow God this time and um, all this confession and, like, you know, rededicating... It didn't take too long for the people to start going back to their self sufficient ways, you know, as we do. Um, and for them, that looked like selling stuff on the Sabbath and like intermarrying with other tribes. And Nehemiah has to jump back in and, and like stay vigilant with the reforms, like call them back again and again. Um, but he does, and they, they do. And so, what, what does all of this have to do with us today? I would, I would like to propose that we, we also have, the, there's this invitation in here for us, if I can, if I can add to the Old Testament, um, an invitation for us to rebuild a homeland together of community. Um, not just because the pandemic has, has further isolated folks, but because we, people I think in our country I know in our country have just um, there's so much evidence of disconnection and suffering and there's a lot of different ways that we could talk about that Um, a lot of different aspects of that disconnection and suffering but I want to focus in on this podcast that Mabel sent me this week um, that I about about um, about the effects of social meaningful social connection and what like how that even registers in our own bodies and then communities um, because i think it, it it could i hope it like reinforces the need for us to build this new homeland um it, so this podcast was about oh shoot i don't think my change is good in there um it's called the science of loneliness, um, and former uh, one of our former Surgeon Generals was de- describing in medical terms like how how human beings are designed with the need for regular social support um, and connection. Even the most introverted ones of us, um, and this is based on like evolutionary bio- biology. We just we need you know, each other for survival from the earliest times, you know, for childcare, for food, all the stuff. Um, And so our bodies go into a stress state when without the constancy of social support and interaction. And that stress state has a greater, greater mortality impact, get this, than so this is, this is like a public health crisis from, from the Surgeon General's perspective. Greater mortality impact than what we see with substance abuse disorders and obesity um, and diabetes. This doctor was saying how, it, like comparing it to being worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The lack of social support and connection based on what this does in the body, because our brain our brain, like pain, emotional pain registers in the brain. And then it like all pain registers in the brain and then sends messages to the body. And um, so I think we need to start naming human support and connection as vital, is, that it's as vital as hunger or thirst um, for the new homeland that we need together. The doctor was, was talking, too, about how like this stress state in the body um, is, can, can be kind of self-perpetuating. And so like it, it puts us like, um, it increases our threat perception so that it's harder to trust people. Like one, once we're in kind of this isolated um, state and our focus shifts inward. And it chips away at our self-esteem. Like we start to think that we're unlikable, and so it's it's really hard. I think, especially in this highly individualistic, um, you know, consumer-driven social environment, to get over these humps and actually make these meaningful connections when we're feeling this when we're feeling especially disconnected and lonely. But I, I think this affects. All of us, really. Um, it's not just the idea of, the, uh, of lo- the, this, uh, I think we have this stereotype of loneliness that it's just like um, a really extreme, like, like, like a hermit or something. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like a, like a, uh, the, a disconnection that kind of pervades our, our entire culture. The doctor suggested that getting out of the stress state starts with knowing your worth, knowing that you have worth and value. And that gave me hope because that's something that God certainly gives us, um, a sense of belovedness that defies limitations. The doctor also suggested reaching out to one person a day just for a few minutes. These were his ideas for how we can Kind of get our bodies beyond this this stress state and connect, uh, being fully present when we are with people. Like Liz was saying, maybe not checking our phones as much, um, spending time in in community. Like being putting ourselves in situations like this meeting where we're around a bunch of people. Um, even if we're not having deep conversations, we can like acknowledge the humanity in somebody else. Um, just say hello and finally service he talked about how service breaks the cycle of loneliness by reminding ourselves that we we bring some value to the world all of us he talks about how belonging is more than being known and loved it's it's about sharing in that responsibility for others and so, I think we can take inspiration from Nehemiah for building a new homeland together, where we can, um, where we can connect. And I want to just look back at the list, like the list uh, from Nehemiah's experience, um, to see how we could learn from him to build our own new homeland of like connected people. Like Liz says, I think it starts with grieving, um, feeling the sadness of of the disconnection. And I, I don't, you know, I could go, I could tell many stories even just from the week, right? Um, the shooting in the LGBTQIA nightclub last night gun violence in our city uh, I mean I heard stories this week just a, uh, about um, the way that gentrification keeps impacting our neighborhoods in Philly um, there's lots there's lots of things to grieve right um, and if we can let ourselves feel it Um, We don't grieve without hope, but we let ourselves feel the sadness of the world and our experience in it, and we take that sadness to God. And then we stay with the feeling because there's no need to to gaslight ourselves. Um, I'll be honest with, with you that the losses in our community over the past year have been some of the hardest of my life. But I'm taking those feelings to God and asking others to join us in this movement of friendship and hope. And I I really see it happening with you and through you. Mm -hmm. Next is facing opposition with God's truth. I think we can expect the powers to divide and confuse people. We can expect capitalism to try to enslave us. Um, we have to keep reclaiming our true life that is hidden with Christ and God, the, that we are more than what we produce. Um, we are more than um, however we think we've failed. That's not our identity. We, our life is hidden with Christ and God. We don't belong to evil. We belong to love. We might have to speak that over ourselves and each other every day. Next, I think we'll make a new homeland if our hearts beat for the poor, if we don't spend more than we share, if we are not blind to injustice, but actively working against it, counting every person as valuable. And next, um, we need to make time for celebration. And I hope that we can, I think, I think, we're, I think we're kind of coming back to that as a community in um, some little but really important ways. And I hope we can make more time for that in in this season of Advent, especially as, you know, as the the days get shorter, our fires can get brighter. Um, But we need, we need to celebrate and also to confess um, the pastors have been talking about making space for confession together um, to recognize and turn and turn from what has been harmful in our own history as a church and restructure ourselves in ways that aren 't white centered. And to do this we 'll need to keep coming before God in worship, asking for the help of the Spirit. Making a new homeland together is sacred work, like we see in Nehemiah, and it's hard work. But I think it is what we need for healing and restoration and life itself, as we see from the Surgeon General. We need each other as human beings. Uh, we really can't do this life on our own. So um, let's ask God for what we need to stay vigilant, to build a new and loving homeland together here in Philly. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the king, and um, I'm glad for that, and we're coming before you and and asking for help in in building new spaces of connection and community, even among us. God, I, I pray for that courage to be vulnerable, um to stay with the sadness when we need to to ask for what we need to come together in worship in in deeper dependence on your spirit um knowing our belovedness um help us grow jesus in all those ways and i thank you for um your spirit already at work among us, uh, truly making, making a new homeland among us, um, showing us a new world, how a new world can exist even in the midst of the one we've got. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to invite you guys to the... Not you guys. I need to stop saying you guys. I want to invite you all to, us all, to the, the table here as we, as we worship, and Alex and the team will give us some music. Um, but I was really, really inspired by, by these words from Richard Rohr. I know a lot of you probably have read him. Um, but he wrote this on Christ the King Sunday. Most of us understandably start the journey assuming that God is up there. And our job is to transcend this world to find him. We spend so much time trying to get up there that we miss God's big leap in Jesus was to come down here. So much of our worship and religious effort is, in this, is the spiritual equivalent of trying to go up what has become a down escalator already. I suspect that the up there mentality is the way most people's spiritual search has to start. But once the real inner journey begins, once you come to know that in Christ, God is forever overcoming the gap between human and divine, The Christian path becomes less about climbing and performing and more about descending, letting go and unlearning. Knowing and loving Jesus is largely about becoming fully human, wounds and all, instead of ascending spiritually or thinking we can remain unwounded. The ego does not like this fundamental switch at all. And so we keep returning to some kind of performance principle trying to climb out of this messy incarnation instead of learning from it. And so I think the invitation tonight um, at the table is Jesus' broken body. Notice the brokenness of the bread and the juice that represents blood poured out. This is Jesus coming to meet us, you know, in the flesh, in, the way that, in a way that's actually tangibly Nourishing to us. So I invite you to receive that nourishment now and let it bring you some hope for your week. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhope.net.